Well, Happy New Year. It, uh, it was a good year, man. I, I'm kind of bummed that 07 is over. That was just uh, are, are you guys? Did you guys think it was a good year? I, I thought it was a great year. There's just a lot of good things. And um, I, I hope that before we just jump into things that you've taken some time. Because I, I, I get so into New Year's. I, I love New Year's. I love starting over. I love thinking, okay, what do we want to be about in 2008? But I hope that this week... You take some time and thank God for this last year, even through the hard times that he took you through and everything else, because I, if you're anything like me, you're always thinking about the future and what's wrong and what you got to fix and how to move forward. And we don't take the time to think through the blessings of how much God's taken us through. And uh, I just had some good time these last couple of weeks just remembering 07 and thanking God for, for great things that he, he did in my life, the life of the church and some of your lives. Um, but uh, I enjoy the New Year's time because every year I think about, okay, what do I want to do in 2008? And I kind of set some goals um, sometimes. Uh, just basically, whether I want to call them or not, I make New Year's resolutions. Um, how many of you guys make New Year's resolutions? Okay. All right. Only about half of you, a third of you. Okay. How many of you already screwed up this year? Okay, good, good. All of you that made those resolutions. I know, it's, it's, it's nuts. I, like I, one of my resolutions, okay, this, I will get in shape this year. I, you know, and I haven't worked out yet. And, uh, but it's a whole idea of, you know, I, I don't know if I put it on the bulletins, but the, the title of the message was how grace and New Year's resolutions don't mix. Because so often when we make these, these uh, laws for ourselves or these resolutions for ourselves, when we achieve them and we actually pull it off for the year, I mean, those of you who made resolutions in 07 and actually kept them through the whole year, by the end of the year, you feel pretty good about yourself. And there can come a pride with these resolutions. And then those of you who made resolutions this year and have already blown it, you're, you're kind of bummed out about yourself already. And, and again, it can be this focus on yourself of, I can do it, and once you do it, then you feel great about yourself, or if you fail, you feel terrible about yourself, rather than focusing on the grace of God. I mean, the truth is, the Bible does teach us that we are to discipline ourselves. And so there is a sense in which we work hard at pursuing the things that God wants us to pursue, and we should constantly be making goals for ourselves in that sense. But there's a way to do it, and there's a way not to do it. Um, a few uh, A few weeks ago, we... We had a time of confession in this room where people just admitted they've been lying about things and were honest before God and just confessed it to God. And uh, then even confessed it to others, as James 5 instructs, and we prayed for each other. Um, and I was thinking about that. I was thinking, you know, and, and thanking God for all the, the lies that were just exposed, that, that, that where you expose yourself. Because it's one thing to get caught in a sin, and someone else confronts you, and it's a completely different thing when you yourself are so broken that you just confess it, right? I mean, isn't that amazing when a, a kid actually just confesses something without getting caught? I mean, it rarely happens, but, you know, in the same, but it's, it's, it's the same with us to just say, you know what, I can't handle this anymore. I'm dying inside. I got to just let it out. Here it is. But I want to ask you a question. From God's perspective, Try to think, try to get into the mind of God with as much scripture as you know. In God's perspective, as he looks down on the earth, what do you think he sees as the worst sin on the earth? 
Go ahead and just say it out loud if you have one. Rejecting the Holy, rejecting the Holy Spirit, that's good. Yeah, because he says he, doesn't for, you know, he won't forgive that. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit when someone uh, clearly sees a miracle from the Holy Spirit and uh, chooses to, to still disbelieve and say it's of Satan. Okay, what else? Ignoring the needs of others. Yeah, because, you, you know, you, you got uh, the two greatest commands are loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And James says, you know, if you, James, John, John says, James says it too. But First uh, John 3, you know, talks about how if, if you see your brother in need and you have no compassion for him, he goes, how can the love of Christ be in you? So that's a serious, serious offense if someone is in need and you, you, you don't take care of him. What else? Lying? Yeah, lying's huge. Oh, pride. <clears throat> Pride's even better. <laughs> lying is good. I mean, lying's not good. Lying is a good answer because it's, it says Satan is the father of lies. So anything that's deceptive is of Satan. But the, the issue of pride, that's a, that's a good one. Divorce? Divorce. Divorce is huge. Because, uh, you, you know, divorce, marriage was supposed to be a picture in, in a Christian family. It was this picture of, of Christ's love for the church. It's this picture that we're supposed to show to the world, just like Christ says, I will never leave you. In the same way, that's the picture we're supposed to show the world of Christianity, is saying, look, I will never leave you. That, that husbands, you say to your wives, as, you, as Christ to the church, I will never leave you, I will never be unfaithful to you. That's, that's a picture. So this picture of divorce and tearing apart is so ugly in God's mind because of that. That's good. What else? Violence, like destroying something that God created. Murdering, yeah. Unforgiveness, unforgiveness, that stinks. Because the, the whole idea in, in God's eyes is you're unforgiving because you actually see someone else's crime as worse than your own. You know, you're like judging them, like, well, I'm not going to forgive them, even though God's forgiven me of so much. That's why God says, he even says, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have, whatever, <laughs> as we forgive our debtors, okay? <laughs> it just wasn't rolling. Forgive us our debts as we, but, but think about this. It, it, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, think about this. We're saying, God, forgive me in the same manner as I forgive others. Have you ever thought about that? So if there's any unforgiveness in your heart, you've asked God to not forgive you. That's huge. It's huge. When you, when you read uh, Luke, I think it's 18 or Matthew 18. I'm not on a roll this morning. Okay, what, what else? Yeah, to not share the gospel with those who are in need. I mean, again, that, that's like someone who doesn't know the good news and for us to be ashamed and not tell them that good news. In fact, he says that if you deny me on earth, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. It's that serious to him. What else? But what, what do you, you think is the worst? Woohoo! <laughs> okay. Adultery? Yeah. Idolatry. Oh, that's a good one. I mean, another bad one. Idolatry. The whole idea of setting something up as God that isn't God, putting anything above him. I mean, again, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So now if you put idolatry is putting something in that place where you love something or someone more than God himself, that's breaking the greatest command. So I can see why you say, you know, that's the greatest sin. Arrogance. 
blasphemy. Uh-huh. We talked about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that, that you won't be forgiven of. Um, arrogance. Someone else mentioned pride. I, I hear that a lot. How many would say, I don't show you, how many would say that pride is the worst sin in God's eyes? Okay. There's a lot of you that say that. Okay. Th- th- this, there's, there's no really right answer for sure. But um, my guess, um, in, in my understanding of Scripture, I, I believe it is self-righteousness. When I look at uh, the way Jesus dealt with people, he was harshest toward the Pharisees because the Pharisees were self-righteous. He was, he was very loving toward the woman caught in adultery, right? But that's not the way he treated the Pharisees. I mean, not, you just see the, the words that Jesus uses and calls them sons of hell. These whitewashed tombs. He, he, just, he just thrashes on these people and calls them these hypocrites because they were self-righteous, because they were proud. And the reason why I say self-righteousness, too, is because self-righteousness goes against God's whole plan of creation. When you think about it. God's whole redemptive plan. See, okay, think about it from God's mind for a second. God makes a world, right? Here you are. There's nothing. There's nothing. And God makes an earth, and he makes all these people on there. Okay, puts these people on this planet. And then he gives them his law or his commands. He gives them his commands, his law, so that these people would see that, wow, I am breaking his laws all of the time. The point of the law was that we would look at it and go, man, I broke that one, that one, that one. And, I mean, from Adam and Eve. They just gave him one rule. They couldn't keep it. Every command, I mean, you look through history, I mean, look through this book. It's about people failing and failing and breaking this command, these commands. And then God... And this was the purpose all along. God comes in and he saves the day. He goes, okay, I gave you those laws and I gave you a sense of justice so that you all know that you ought to be punished, right? I mean, that's what the law does. We see the law so that we know, okay, yeah, I should be punished. And then God comes in and saves the day. He saves these people. He sends his son and says, look, I'm going to appease my justice. I have my own son pay for your crimes. And then those of you who believe in him, man, see, he's going to rise from the grave and he's going to ascend back into heaven. And those of you who believe in him, those of you from that planet, see, because I'm going to destroy this thing pretty soon. But those of you who believe in him, you're going to go with my son up there in heaven where we worship him forever and ever and ever. See, that was the plan. That every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because we go, wow, look how loving he was. We were, we were messed up. We were going to be punished. And then he came and died for us. No one's ever shown us that much love. And so all of eternity we go, gosh, you're awesome. You're awesome. You're awesome. You're awesome. I can't believe how much you love me. I can't believe how much you love me. And then we see that he rose from the grave and we praise him because he's all powerful and he has life and he's given us life and we worship him forever and ever and ever. See, that was the plan of creation. God was going to create these people who would fail at his law and see his law and see it. They were sinners. Yet God would come in and save them. And then we would thank God for all of eternity for saving us for his grace. And that's why we worship him. See, but where self-righteousness comes in is when a person goes, God gave his law. I think I did pretty good at it. 
and I think I'm going to come to the end, and I don't really need God's grace. I don't really need his sacrifice. I'm pretty good myself. I mean, I'm a good person, and I think that when I get into heaven, he'll let me in because of my good works. And then for all of eternity, I'll be enjoying all of the riches that I earned myself. You see, it's, it's this, this ugliness that the Pharisees had of, hey, no, no, God, I'm actually keeping your law. But no, that wasn't the point of it. And I, when I see the way that God deals with pride, the person in the room that says, you know what, I'm pretty good. Because we compare ourselves to other people. When I look in Scripture, man, God really, really hates that. And, and this, this story that I give about God coming in and saving this whole group of people, for some of you, that story drives you crazy because you're never the hero in it. You know, it was never, it was never, ah, oh, but then I started obeying the laws of God and I got myself in There's no you in there. It was like you were made by this creator. You failed. You failed at keeping his commands and he had to save you and rescue you for all of eternity. You don't like that story because you want it to turn somewhere in there. You want it to be about you, and yet I don't know if there's a sin that God hates even more than that. I mean, from the beginning to the end of this book, it's always been about God being the center of the story and Him giving you righteousness, not you earning it yourself. It's always about Him being the hero. It's about the Israelites who are backed up to the Red Sea, and then who parts it? God parts the Red Sea. It's about them being in the desert, going, oh, we're going to die. There's no food. And God goes, no, nope, look what I do. I'll provide food from heaven. It's about a bunch of people going, man, we're doomed. We have to stand before a holy God any day, and we've broken all these commands. And God goes, no, nope, watch what I do. I'm going to send my son, and he'll pay for your crimes. All you got to do is believe in that. You believe in that, you're going to have eternal life. And it's all about God, all about God, all about God. And it's when we turn it as human beings and want to make it about us. And as, as we confessed a bunch of sins a few weeks ago, I wanted to make sure that we didn't overlook this sin of self-righteousness because I, I would argue that it could be the worst. And, and it can easily creep into the church. And I, I was even praying about it this morning. I thought, man, you know... <laughs> It, it very easily creeps into Cornerstone Church, Simi Valley, where we can start feeling good about ourselves because of how much we give and say, wow, we're not like other churches that spend all on themselves. Look at us. Look how much we give. We don't ever want any of that to creep in. It's very easy for us here in Simi Valley. Simi, I think this is the biggest sin that we struggle with in Simi Valley. Because what we do is we compare ourselves to other people. And we're family people. We're Simi Valley. We're not like those valley people, you know, where they're, they got gangs, they're shooting each other, there's prostitutes out there. Not in Simi Valley. We've got Snookies, that's it. You know, it's just, you know, it's, it's, we are, we're, we're a family. We're, we're good. We don't kill each other. We've got low crime rates. We've got, you, you know, and, and we can start feeling like, man, I, man, I see it all the time. And, and I, I fall into it sometimes. And when we talk about other people, how often do we use that phrase, oh, he's a good guy. She's a good person. Every funeral you go to, someone will say, ah, oh, she was a good person. He was a good person. 
And it's very easy for us to look at ourselves and compare ourselves to other people and feel this sense of self-righteousness, which I believe God absolutely hates. Um, That's what the whole book of Galatians is about, really. It's about, Paul explained to the Galatians, look, it's not about you doing these things. Now, we've got to get this through our heads because I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked about this And yet I still hear people in our church referring to themselves as good people. And I I was even in the parking lot today thinking and praying and thinking, God, you know, I wonder if I just took a poll and, and, you know, and just asked, hey, are you a good person? How many in this room would say yes? And and that scares me still because I think some of you would. And the whole book of Galatians is to explain, no, you're not a good person. And the whole point of the law was to explain that you're not a good person. See, we, we have the Ten Commandments. The world takes the Ten Commandments and screws them all up. They look at the Ten Commandments as if it's a good thing. As if, hey, look, I'm pretty good. I've obeyed the Ten Commandments pretty well. No, the point of the Ten Commandments was to show you, no, you are a miserable failure. See, we look at them and go, what? I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't killed anyone. That's one of them. Okay? Good job. Okay? And even when Jesus explains murder, he explains that, no, if you have hatred in your heart, that's just as good as murder. In my eyes, you have the heart of a murderer because you have hatred toward this person. And the whole point of the Ten Commandments was not the way the world looks at them and goes, okay, here's some good rules, good standards, and I'm pretty good at following those, so good for me. No, the point of the Ten Commandments was, look, you've probably broken all of these, and you've got to stand before a holy God now. You're in some serious, serious trouble. And so Paul in Galatians is explaining, look, and that's the whole point why we needed Jesus. And he's explaining to these Galatians, so quit trying to come up with a system of works to where you're the hero and you feel good about yourself because you obeyed these things. It's never been about works. It's never been about the law. He explained how with Abraham, Father Abraham, the whole idea of, of, of their, their patriarch, he was, even with them it was with faith and uh, but some may have questioned and said, well, but then why, why do you have the commands then? Why did God make commands? And that's what he explains here in Galatians 3. We're kind of picking it up, Galatians 3, verse 15, and continuing in our series in Galatians. Paul, Paul explains in verse 15, he goes, Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. Okay, let me explain that. Paul's Paul's explaining this promise that God made to Abraham. And he says, you know how there's certain covenants? You know, it's it's, it's similar like a will. You know when you make a will and and, uh, and then you die? Or or they don't call it a will anymore. What's it called? Trust, a living trust, and then you're not living anymore. But uh, a living trust, and then you're no longer living. Okay, once you die... That covenant can't be changed. Someone can't say, well, he really meant to leave me the house. You, you know, you, you can't, you, it's, 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 it's a covenant. It's just, it's stuck there. That's the way it is. And he, he goes, it explains, he goes, you know how there's certain human covenants where once you make the deal, you can't break the deal. He goes, it's the same way with God's promise to Abraham. If you do that humanly, imagine God, if God made a promise, a covenant, is he going to change it later? And he goes, no, he made a promise to Abraham 
in verse 16, it says, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Okay, what, what he's referring to in Genesis 12, God promises Abram, a guy named Abram, he goes, look, and he later changes his name to Abraham. That, that hem in the, in the Hebrew is the plural word. And the whole idea of changing his name Abram to Abraham was his idea that he would have many, many descendants. He would have this plurality of descendants, even though his wife was, was, was very old. He says, you know what, there's going to come this lineage, there's going to come this seed or this offspring. Now, when you take this back, this is not just to Abraham. If you remember, this was from Adam and Eve. If you remember, Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden. They broke the command of God. And then God, later on, he promises. He says, remember that statement that he makes in Genesis? Let me just read it verbatim. Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 15. He says, I will put enmity, talking about the, uh, the serpent and, and Eve, and he's talking to them because of the sin, because the serpent deceived her. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed or offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So after Adam and Eve sinned, God says, look, from Eve is going to come this seed this offspring okay and then he says to satan that you know what you're gonna bruise the seeds heel but he's gonna crush your head so he promises there's gonna come this deliverer because of this sin that has happened there's gonna come a day when this deliverer is gonna come and crush the head of satan and then he promises to abraham later on in genesis 12 he goes you know what leave your land i'm gonna take you to this land and you're going to, you and your descendants are going to enjoy it. But again, when he talks about his descendants or his seed or his offspring, God is very clear in the Old Testament that he does not mean that all of the descendants of Abraham, and, and, and like seed, plural, like all of your descendants, is not what he's talking about. Because he explains clearly it's not from Ishmael, it's going to be from Isaac. And then once Isaac has kids, he explains it's not from, it's not from Esau, it's from Jacob. And goes on down the line and explains this one seed that was going to come. Explain that, look, this goes way back. This goes, this is God's promise to Adam and Eve. It's God's promise. It continues with Abram. And then he continues and, and tells Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then he says in verse 17, he goes, what I mean is this. He goes, the law, the law which was introduced 430 years later. And that's, that's after he's referring to when, when God explained to Jacob the promise, reiterated the promise. Then 430 years pass. Then comes Moses, and then God gives him the Ten Commandments, the laws on that mountain. He goes, think about that. He goes, God made a promise way back then. The law didn't change things. See, some people thought, well, okay, that's the way it was. God made this promise to Abram. He made to Isaac, made to Adam and Eve. But then Moses came and he actually got commands and God changed the system of everything. And he says, look, if you obey these laws, then here's a new way to be delivered by obeying these laws. And God's saying, Paul's saying here, wait, this came 430 years after the last time God reiterated to Jacob. He goes, 
This is a covenant. You know how in, in human terms there's certain laws, certain uh, binding trust that you make and you can't change that later? He goes, this is God. He's not going to go back on his word to Abraham. He's not going to go back to, on his word to Adam and Eve. There was always this plan of the seed who was Christ that was going to come and be the deliverer. This law that came 430 years later, that was not the purpose of it. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. It's this idea of promise. God promised Abraham there will be a deliverer. God promised Adam and Eve there would be a deliverer. God promised all the prophets there would be a deliverer. And then there came Christ. This idea of the law that came in in the middle, 430 years after the promise, he goes, was not to negate the promise that God would save his people through faith, through his promise. So why, were, why was God going to deliver the world? Because he promised. It's just, it's just something he did. Now, why the law then? What's the purpose of the law? Why do we even need the law? If God already promised he would redeem these people, why did he make the law? Which is the very next question he asked in verse 19. And I'm going to give you three reasons why he gave the law. Number one, verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put in effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Okay, it's a confusing passage. This whole idea of the mediator, he's saying, okay, the law, what does the law say? The law says that if you do these things, you'll be blessed. So it's, it's, it's like a, there's a mediator. There's, there's a, there was Moses. There were the angels. There was this, this covenant between God and man. And God gives his law and says, look, if you obey this thing, then I'll give you life. Okay, so two partiers are involved. God, who, who made the deal, and man, who has to keep his end of the bargain. Now the problem is, no one has been able to keep the law. Okay, so that deal doesn't work. The whole idea was it wasn't meant to give us life. He goes, see, that, it's a two-party thing. Whereas with, with the covenant, with the promise, that was all God. Abraham didn't have to do anything. God made a covenant. God made a deal. And he says there was only one party involved, just God. And God goes, look, I'm going to promise you that you're going to have these descendants. You're going to have this offspring. He promised Adam and Eve, look, you know what? You're going to have this seed. The Christ is going to come. That was all God. He doesn't say, if you do this or that. He says, this is about the difference between the law and the promise. The promise comes from God and depends on God's faithfulness, whereas the law was this deal where if you can really do this. But the point was, was no one was going to be able to keep his law. But what was the purpose of the law then? Sorry, I have cold. What then was the purpose of the law? Why have a law? He says it was added because of transgressions. Do you know why God put the law there? The whole point was so that you would see how sinful you are. 
See, Paul describes this in, uh, in Romans chapter 7. In Romans 7, verse 7, he says, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. He goes, I wouldn't have known that I was so bad. But then I start reading the laws of God and I'm going, wow, I'm terrible. It, it, it's almost like the law. It's like, you know, you know how they have those those uh, those those uh, signs that show you how fast you're going. You ever seen those? And, you know, it shows you, you know, speed limit 35. Then you see the 70 jump up like, whoa, I had no idea. But it kind of just through that in your face it's like this mirror of wow i am really breaking the law right now you know that's the idea of the law that was the idea of the old testament law was paul was saying look i i wouldn't have even known what sin was but then i started reading the law and i'm going man god hates that wait almighty god hates that see if you don't read the old testament you're going to feel pretty good about yourself you just will. If you don't read that book, you are going to feel good about yourself because what you will do is you'll compare yourself to other people. And you'll look at and, and we just naturally will gravitate toward the worst of the worst and go, you know what, I am not like him. I am not like her. And you begin to feel self-righteous because you look at other people. But if you look at the law and you look at what God says, that's when you don't feel so hot about yourself. And you realize, oh, man, see, because people will always tell you, people will say, ah, divorce isn't that big a deal. Adultery, you know, we've all done some of that. Coveting, you know what? Yeah, you're not happy with your husband. You'd rather have someone else. Of course, we've all done that. See, you start talking to other people, you're going to start feeling pretty good about yourselves because that's what we do for one another. Whenever someone sins, we go, that's ah, not that big a deal. Oh, yeah, read, read the Bible sometime. You know how much God hates? Hates those things. You start reading the Bible and you go, wow, he can't stand it. Look, he just destroyed. He had the ground swallow a bunch of people. Look, he just had fire come down from heaven to destroy these people. What was his point? I hate that. Don't talk behind his back. I'll, I'll kill you. Don't lie. I'll kill you. I mean, you start reading the Bible and you go, wow. Okay, God's serious about his law. That was the point of the law, is if you would read this, you wouldn't feel so great about yourself. You start just talking to other people, yeah, you feel great, but when you look at the law, that's the point of the law. It was added so that people would realize how sinful they were. That was the point of the law. So is the law a bad thing? Verse 21 says, Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would have come by the law. But the scripture declares the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. See, the purpose of the law, number one, was to show you how sinful you were. But number two, it was also to show you how helpless you were. It says the whole world is a prisoner of this law. We're all under the law. Whether you like it or not, you don't, you don't choose to be under law. You know, I, I, don't, I didn't choose to be under the speed limit. 
That, that was just set up for me. That was just there. In the same way, we don't get to choose what laws we're under. We're under the law. We're prisoners of it. We're locked up. God says, you know, when a creator makes these little beings, he has the freedom to tell these beings what to do. That's just, that's just a law. That's just a rule. If you make something, you're in charge. It's, it's this whole idea of, look, I make this law and I put you under it. So I'm under this law now. And the whole point was for me to realize, man, I'm a prisoner of this. When the Bible says, thou shalt not covet, that means I can't ever want what someone else has. I can't desire someone else's money, someone else's car, someone else's wife, someone else's life. All these commercials you see, you can't, don't long for those things that's coveting it's desiring what someone else has that bearing false witness that's don't lie don't bear false witness don't say anything false man so those things that, that, that we're under this that god says no you're, you're not allowed to lie that's awful in my sight <laughs> honor your father and mother don't you don't you uh, don't you ever dishonor your parents you honor them. God commanded that. These are the laws of God. Don't use his name in vain. You treat his name as holy. Hallowed is his name. Don't just flippantly say the name of God. Man, you don't, you don't put any... You don't say, we talked about idolatry. You don't set things up like that. Adultery. Don't you dare lust over... Don't you look at another woman with lust... Don't you hate another human being? Don't have hatred toward another person. That's murder. Don't you go working seven days a week. You better take. You, you better keep one day holy. Set apart for. You start going down the Ten Commandments. That we're a prisoner of this, and we're going. Oh man, as I say those things, you're going. I broke it. I broke it. I broke it. I broke it. And one day you stand before a judge, and guess what? He's not going to look at all that and go, "Oh, you're innocent." See, you're, you're in trouble. You're in some serious, serious trouble. You can have all your buddies, all your friends gather you together and, you know, gather them together and they'll all sit down and go, oh, no, you're a good person, you're a good person, you're a good person. But guess what? They don't sit on the throne. You stand before a holy God who says, I gave you this law, you broke this, 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 and you're, so you're a prisoner of this. And you're going, I'm dead. That's what the law does. It shows you how sinful you are and shows you how much trouble you're in. And then finally, verse 24. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. So what was the point of the law? The law was to lead us to Christ. The law was for us to go, man, I'm a real sinner. Man, I'm in a lot of trouble that we would finally go help. That's the point of the law was we'd look at it and go, oh, I'm seriously speeding here. I am seriously going to have to come before the judge on this one. Help me. It was to prepare the way for Christ. So all the people realizing and seeing their guilt go, man, I'm going to die. I'm going to be destroyed. Like Isaiah says, when he saw God, I'm, I'm ruined. And then God goes, no, no, no. Watch what I do. I'm going to have my son pay for your crimes. 
I'm going to have him rise from the grave. And you just believe in him, and then you'll spend eternity with him, thanking him for loving you, thanking him for rising from the grave, thanking him for being the all-powerful being. And it'll be all about him. It'll be all about me. It'll be to our glory. That's why I made this world. He goes, and the law really helps out with that because it makes you see how badly you needed Christ. See, that's the point of it. It's a beautiful passage. And you know what I love about this passage is he says in that verse, he goes, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Put in charge is a terrible translation. The word there is, uh, is the word tutor or schoolmaster. The, the word there was, it's this idea of in their culture, you had this, um, like a kid from, from infancy until he reached a, adulthood, he would have like a slave. He would have, um, we call him a slave in, in scripture, but it's, it's, it's this person who is a, it's, it's a weird term because we don't have anything like it. It's a tutor, it's a schoolmaster. Basically, it's, it's a guardian even. It's someone who would stay with this kid. Like, like I got a little two-year-old boy, okay? Let's say someone, um, let's, let's, let's say Howard is my little boy's um, tutor or what this word is, the one who was put in charge of my little boy. Then what Howard would do is he had freedom to beat my kid. He had freedom to yell at my kid. He was the one that was going to teach my kid. He was the one that would teach him all his schoolwork and everything else and make sure that he was not just learning intellectually, but he would also obey him. Like in the olden days when you, got, you could paddle the kids at school. It was pretty cool. But, but this would be the guy that would walk with my kid and all through life, he was like just right next to him, telling him what he did wrong, showing him what was right, you know, disciplining when he needed to, everything else. That was the idea of this word here, the one put in charge. Until my boy, and I read different accounts, but somewhere around 14, 15, somewhere in there, then suddenly in the Roman uh, mindset, you became an actual citizen, a Roman citizen. And so the idea is you bring them up to that point, and then at that point, you know what? You've tutored him long enough, now he's on his own. Now he's free to go. And every boy looked forward to that. In fact, they had a, uh, a coming-of-age ceremony called uh, toga virilis. It's kind of like a bar mitzvah or a quinceanera, you know, that we still kind of do in some cultures. The idea of, okay, now you're a man, now you're a woman, now you're on your own, now say goodbye to Howard. And every kid would look forward to the day when Howard was gone. You know, it's like, oh, he's out of here, you know, and I am free now. See, Paul says that was the point of the law. The law was there to tutor you and show you how bad you were and everything else. And the whole idea of it was all it was it wasn't permanent. It was to lead us to the time of Christ. Until faith came, because God promised there was going to come a time when God would actually change people's hearts who are hearts of rock and turn them into flesh. It was this idea when he was going to pour his spirit out upon people. The Bible describes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. He says, because through Christ, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. What the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. The whole idea was we don't have to be under the law anymore. 
So is the law a bad thing? Here's, here's, here's the best explanation I've heard. So I don't know who came up with this originally, but we'll just pretend it's me. Um, this is the idea. If this is the law, because law is not a bad thing. The law, this is how God wants us to live still. But the idea is we have to stop looking at the law as a ladder and going, well, I, I obeyed these, and I see guys down on the bottom, they haven't even obeyed the first one. And, you know, some of you, you know, maybe further up, and we go, oh, okay, this is this, this ladder that's getting me into heaven. Like, the, the higher I climb toward this thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the law to get me to heaven. That's not the purpose of the law. It wasn't going to give you life. The purpose of the law now, the way we need to look at it, is to take this ladder and to lay it down and see this as, this isn't a ladder, these are train tracks. It's this idea of this guide or this path that we go along, empowered by the Holy Spirit down this track of righteousness. See, I don't want us to think that, okay, fine, I can disobey all the laws now. No, you just have to look at it differently. The idea is it's not a ladder that gets you to heaven. And where you look at yourself, oh, I failed, I didn't, you know, that now the law is these, you know, by the Holy Spirit now, we can obey this law. By the power of the Holy Spirit, this is the guide, this is the rail, this is the track I want to stay on. God's commands are a good thing. And they lead me to life. I want to be on this track. But the picture is, don't ever look at it as a ladder, where you think, you know, I'm good, I'm working my way up this thing but rather know it's a great guide for me in life and it's God's desire for me in life. But um, let me just close with this. Verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male nor female you're all one in christ jesus if you belong to christ then you are abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise he just closes and saying you know what i don't know what you've done in life whether you come in here feeling good about yourself because you fulfilled a bunch of requirements in 07 or if you look at 07 and go man that was a sinful awful year because I don't care how powerful you are, whether you own a company or you're at the bottom of the totem pole. I don't care if you're male, female, slave, free. I don't care what nationality you are. In order to be a part of this offspring, you need to have faith. That's it. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. He says you get your inheritance your heirs. Why do you get your inheritance? Because you're a child of God. You don't earn the inheritance. The inheritance was something you've been given. And it's all because of this promise. You see, are you willing to be a part of this big picture? Are you willing to say, you know what? I accept that it's not about me. And it's about a God who made this world, gave me a law so that I could see that, yes, I'm a failure. And for him to come down and save you and for you to go, thank you for saving me. Is that good enough for you? Do you look at the law and go, man, I was a mess. I was in trouble. And thank God for his grace. Thank God for his seed. Thank God for his promise.
Are you willing to humble yourself, or does that kill you? And you go, no, I'm going to do it by myself. I'm going to climb this thing. No one's ever pulled it off, but good luck. Or do you go, you know what, God? Thank you for saving me. My life's a mess. When I look at your law, my life's a mess. When I talk to my friends, I'm okay. But when I look at your law, my life's a mess. See, I don't know what people have told you. They've told you that you committed a sin that was just too grievous, too awful. God will never forgive you. It's just not true. God made a promise. God made a promise through his son. God made a promise to Abraham, to Adam and Eve. God made a promise when he made this world and the first two human beings on this planet. And he's going to keep that promise that he would bring a deliverer to save you from yourself and to save you from him. And that's why we come in this room. Not to celebrate how good we've been or what good people we are, but to celebrate Jesus for saving us. Because the law has shown us, you know what? We were screwed. <laughs> we were prisoners. We were, we were going to die. We were going to be destroyed. Praise Jesus Christ, and we'll be praising him forever and ever and ever for saving us. Let me just close. I'm sorry, I said I was going to say that, but I want to close with Revelation 21, because it's the end of the picture. Just listen to this. Just, just listen to this and meditate on it, and just enjoy this. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, it's talking about the end times, this is God. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who overcomes will inherit all this and I will be his God and he will be my son. That's what we have to look forward to. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Like one day God's just say, okay, that world, everything, it's over. Come here. You're my sons. Come and inherit everything and praise me for everything I did for you. I saved you from that so that you could be my children. No more tears. No more death, no more mourning. The worship team's going to come up and uh, we're going to celebrate this God. As worship is a time where we tell God, you know what, thank you because you saved me because I was in some serious trouble. And right now we're also going to take up communion. For those of you who believe this, we're going to pass the bread reminding us that, you know what, that was God's provision. We're mentioning that Jesus... His body was broken for us. We're going to take the cup, reminding us that, you know, it's because of this that I'm saved. It was God's promise to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through Christ the seed, and he'll be with us forever. Just, just when you get the bread and get the cup, take it when you're ready this time. Just when you're ready, when you've thanked God for saving you. And maybe some of you are saying, you know what, I, I've never gotten baptized. Baptized was that whole, baptism was that whole picture of your salvation of your being baptized into Christ, coming into Him, going in the water. You know what? I need Him to be saved. You're, you're being baptized into His death and you're rising again to a new life where this Holy Spirit will now propel you down the tracks of God's laws, God's commands. And um, if you need prayer or anything else, you're confused about anything because I threw out a lot of stuff, then feel free to come up to the prayer room and uh, someone will pray with you. But right now, let's, uh, let's make this just a, 
a worshipful time where we recognize this is all about God and his grace and not about us.